welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I've been thinking a lot about the word shelter. Food, water, shelter. The most basic human needs. Most kids will get food and water, but they don't remember shelter. I didn't really come to appreciate the importance of shelter until I moved from California to Minnesota a couple of years ago. And now that I'm here, I get the shelter is really important, whether it's snow or cold, cold wind coming off the lake. It doesn't take long to understand how deadly and devastating a lack of shelter could be once you're exposed to negative 15 degrees and your, and your skin isn't properly covered. A shelter, it's a place of safety, of refuge, a covering. In the right circumstances, it can sustain our lives. We've been, of course, using this term shelter in place. That's what state and federal governments are asking many of us us to do now. We're taking shelter from the deadly coronavirus that may be on all kinds of surfaces around us. It may be in the air near us based on who we're standing by. So shelter in place means stay in your home. Take shelter from something dangerous. I was a very mediocre softball player, mostly because I got pretty anxious being up at bat. And uh, despite having practiced playing baseball since I was able to walk with my dad, who loved, loved, loved baseball, he would have my brothers and I out in the yard almost every night practicing, throwing, fielding, proper batting, positioning. So I had a lot of training, but I still, I just wasn't very good. I just, I don't know if my heart maybe wasn't fully in it. It was something I liked doing with my dad and brothers, but I didn't really love it myself. But I loved the language of safe at home and that home base was like the thing that you were aspiring to get to. Every hit was solely for the intention of getting around those bases all the way home. And then if there was any question or any doubt about whether you made it, the umpire would yell, safe, safe at home. And that's what, you know, I hope that this shelter in place experience feels like for us, that this is a way to be safe at home, a way to find solace and comfort around the things and the people that we have chosen to place in our lives the things and the people that give us the most sense of joy. But of course, the lived reality is that not everyone feels safe in their home. The place in which we live is not always a shelter. Last week in the middle of all of this, my family and I had a glimpse into what it feels like to not feel safe at home. We had some unwanted, uninvited guests who showed up at our house unannounced in a very dramatic way The police were involved. There was yelling in the street. It was deeply disruptive. Really, objectively, we probably weren't in a lot of danger, but it was very disruptive to our sense of safety. 
And I am being kind of intentionally vague here. Sorry about that. I know that's not the good, not the makings of a good story, but um, is somewhat necessary in this situation. So after this happened, one of our children was really, really afraid in our home. We have a first floor with big windows and the windows don't have coverings because we don't really do anything very private there. We're not in that part of the house at night a lot. So the windows are wide open and they just let all of this beautiful light and fresh air come in. But he didn't want to be anywhere where we could be seen through the windows. And he didn't want to sleep in his own room. He didn't want to sleep by himself. He slept in bed with me, which he hasn't done since he was a small baby. And certainly, I don't think it's ever done out of fear. So it was a really difficult experience to see your child and then to experience some within my own self of not feeling safe at home, feeling like someone could intrude upon our space, upon our shelter, just because they want to. And we then bear the burden of having to having to deal with that, having to protect ourselves and our home from uninvited, unwanted people. So thankfully, we have the connections and the resources to be able to um, modify our shelter-in-place strategy. So I took um, my children to an alpaca farm in Wisconsin, <laughs> and we spent a couple of days living in a friend's RV and hanging out with alpacas and chickens and dogs and kind of roaming the forest and hanging out in the fields and just being outside. And it reset our sense of safety. We felt super safe on the farm. We knew that really nobody knew where we were, that we couldn't be found by these people that we were trying to elude. And we knew that we were safe there. So it helped everyone calm down. We stayed a couple days and then of course we returned home and feeling much better. But it made me feel tremendous compassion for those of us who don't feel safe in our homes. For whatever reason, whether there's a lot of anger in our family or violence or lack of love and connection, this experience of being essentially forced to be at home has its own dangers. A few weeks before this coronavirus thing really exploded here in Minnesota, I was asked to testify before the state legislature around some legislation related to the oversight of sober homes. And sober homes or sober houses are places where people go following treatment for either substance abuse, sometimes for mental health care. And they're historically quite problematic in almost every state that I've lived in. Uh, my brother, um, before he died, had been living in a sober house and found it to be really a scary place. He was super uncomfortable, felt really unsafe, felt like he was harassed, felt like, you know, people were going to steal his things. And it was in some ways the, the terror that he felt around being in this unsafe home that made him abruptly leave Minnesota, leave family connections, leave treatment connections, and go back to Montana where he had been living before, but where he really had very little support. And the lack of safety within your most intimate spaces, your private spaces, the place where you sleep, the place where you eat, is one of the most disruptive human experiences that I can think of. And of course, it's really subjective. It doesn't, what's unsafe to one person might feel fine or safe to another person. I spent a summer working at a refugee camp in southern Ghana. 
a refugee camp mostly for people from Liberia and Sierra Leone. And the refugee camp was um, an intense place. It was almost like its own sort of tent city. And there was a governance structure. There was, you know, a lot going on there. It's not a place that I would have wanted to live, but I do feel grateful for having been able to spend some time there. My job while I was there was to help provide social emotional programming for teenage girls who were parenting or pregnant. And the vast majority of these kiddos had become pregnant either in the context of forced sex or some kind of sort of mostly forced sex work in which they were trading sex for safety or for food or for some small amount of money. So these were probably the most vulnerable humans that you can think of in the world. These are girls who have arrived at the camp without a guardian or adult. They are without country as refugees and they are pregnant or parenting very young children. So forget social emotional programming, to be honest. All of our work was around how do we create some sense of safety? How do we create enough of a community among this small band of young women, there were about 15, such that we can coordinate a basic amount of safety? So that looked like going to the bathroom on a buddy system. That looked like organizing girls to watch each other's children while people would go to the market or try to find work. It meant that shelter, that safety had to be a communal endeavor. It had to be something that everybody pitched in for because there was no way that one 14-year-old with a six-month-old baby was going to be able to do everything that she needed to do in the course of her day to keep her and her baby safe without the help of other people. So our social-emotional programming... (laughs) really became a way of sharing community, of helping to take care of each other. And that shared community made the camp feel much safer. It became a shelter. It became a place where these kiddos felt some sense of protection. So what makes a shelter? What makes you safe at home? Of course, first and foremost is a sense of physical safety, of ensuring the protection of your body, of feeling like you can sleep in safety without your things, your possessions, or even your person being abused or the victim of theft. Then we have emotional safety, feeling like you can be in a place without being demeaned or abused or insulted, without your feelings being dismissed or shamed, which is of course really tied into relational safety. You're safe at home or you can shelter in place When your body is safe and your heart is safe and you are around safe people. One of the things that I think is becoming tricky for many of us, even those of us who are, broadly speaking, quite safe in our homes, is how do we find a sense of psychological safety within ourselves? How do we shelter in place within our own hearts when it's our own hearts and minds that can feel so unsafe, when the fears start to become overwhelming, when we start to contingency plan one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps down the line, and it's impossible to even manage all of the possibilities. It's a conversation I had a lot with my kiddos after we had this 
invited unwanted visitor. How do we reestablish safety in our home? Yes, but also in our heads, in our heads and in our hearts, because that's in many ways where safety lives. So we've talked a lot about some psychological skills, grounding, looking around, noticing where we are in this moment. Here I'm sitting in my gray chair, looking out my window. I know where I am. I know when I am. I know who's in my house. I can feel my body in space. This sense of anchoring to the here and now is a counterbalance to the what if, what happens when, when is this over? Those big questions that pull us out of the here and now and our questions about all of the possibilities that may or may not come to be within the future. So one approach to reestablishing inner safety is grounding, knowing where you are, when you are, and letting yourself, inviting your mind to be specifically there. Another strategy for inner safety. I don't know if you can hear the child playing violin in the background, but um, this is, of course, the reality in which we live and that I am uh, recording a podcast in a house that is now occupied by three children, one of whom is practicing violin. So we'll just consider that a little bit of extra soundtrack bonus for today's episode. So a second strategy for practicing inner safety, for making your heart and your mind a place of shelter, is filling it with as much beauty as possible. Sometimes I imagine my mind or the inner part of me as a room. It's my room. It's my space. And I, I think about how I want to decorate it, right? The, the kind of art I want to hang, the kind of furniture I want to adorn it with. I think that's, it's a little bit of a nonlinear exercise, but think about how you would organize your inner space were it actually a space. What would the design be? What would the decor be? And then I try to ask my thoughts to be in line with that, right? If I'm going with like a mid-century modern, really clean lines, really simple architectural style, that's really different than if I'm decorating my inner space like the Palace of Versailles with rich, lush fabrics and giant art and painted ceilings. What do you want your inner space to feel like? Mentalize that. Paint a picture of it. Give that room that lives above your shoulders a sense of decor and place that really helps you feel calm, light, beauty. You can also cultivate beauty within your inner space, making that shelter lovely by filling it with music, by filling it with literal art, <laughs> by surrounding yourself with words, images, sounds that really help your inner world to feel happy and content and well. That will help you filter your thoughts. That will help contain some of the lack of safety that might be living right under the surface. The thing that I learned about that refugee camp is that shelters can be made in all manner of places, right alongside all manner of dangers and all manner of vulnerability. Our inner shelter can also be that place of quiet, a place to rest, a place to be on break 
from the onslaught of demands and fears and challenges that many of us are facing right now. So letting your mind practice some quiet. Meditation is a great tool. Simply letting yourself lay in bed a little longer in the morning is a great tool. Not with your phone. Not with your phone. Just laying in bed. If you're in a place where it's safe to do so, take a blanket and just lay in the grass. Five minutes, watch the clouds, feel the wind. Let your mind have some quiet. I'm very, very fortunate that I have not had a lot to fear in my life, that I have lived in safe homes with safe people. But my family's little encounter with this lack of safety last week made me so grateful for that, but also made me feel such deep compassion for those of us who don't live with that level of safety all the time. And if that's you, if you are feeling unsafe and feeling trapped in a situation that is unsafe, please know that that's far below what you deserve. There are local family violence support centers that can help. There are also lots of Airbnbs that are offering great deals and great discounts. I don't have perfect solutions, but a sense of threat is a really, really difficult way to live. And we might be feeling it in our specific homes, but we're all feeling it in the general climate of the world. And we combat threat with safety, with shelters, with security. The other thing that my kids and I have been doing as really part of our homeschool curriculum is building shelters in the woods near our home. It's been some great conversation about ancient civilizations, creative uses for acorns, how you construct something out of tree branches that's not going to fall on you. It's playful and it's light and it's fun, but hopefully also teaching them that they are capable of making a shelter, a safe place around them, a safe place within themselves that will help them face whatever challenges they encounter in their lives. So wishing you well as you shelter in place, hoping that you are safe at home, and finding ways to anchor your mind and your body in a sense of safety. Be well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.